Good morning. How are we? Doing good? Fantastic. There's uh, a ton of sickness rippling around, and so if you think about it, pray for those people who are sick. It's wild. It's uh, influenza A and all sorts of sickness, so there's a lot of, a lot of that going around. But we're here, worshiping online, watching, and, and we're excited. Uh, if you don't know, Nathan wrote that last song, and I'm super giddy about it. He wrote it this week. He knew, uh, he, he knew we were going to be talking about the Shema, uh, say Shema. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that a lot today. And, uh, and he sent me the lyrics for it. I was like, man, what a great song. So good to be able to, this is the greatest command, right? Jesus is asked, what's the most important thing, Jesus? What will we do? And then Jesus says, this is it, man. All of it hinges on this. That's a beautiful song. Man, I'm excited to continue to sing that together and say together, we will ever love you, right? One body, one faith, one baptism. I'm pumped about it. Hey, if you could grab your Bible, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6. That's where we're going to land today. You should know it because it'll say, the greatest commandment. Right? Your Bible should have that subtext. Don't look at me like that was scary. Come on, you know that the Bible says that, right? There's the greatest commandment. I thought that Jesus said the greatest commandment. Well, he was actually quoting Deuteronomy 6. So we're, we're going to get there, right? So we're going to be talking about that. Um, I'm going to catch you up. Like if you are just stepping into this or every week we just want to do this in general, we're reading through the whole Bible together as a church, right? And so sometimes we'll get behind and we'll miss some things and that's fine. If you're not familiar with the Bible recap or the plan or anything like that, that's okay. We're about to get into Joshua. You can step right in, right? We read about two to four chapters a day, right? We've got all sorts of plans to keep up on this. You can grab one of these up front, all sorts of resources. But every week we try to recap kind of where we've been, and that gets a little more difficult every week because there's so much to cover. But one of the ways we do that is through talking about Tov and Ra, right? Say Tov. Say Ra. Ra, it's our favorite Christian cuss word now, right? Right? Has anyone been using Ra in your everyday life? Good. Yeah, it's a good one, right? So Tov means good, right? God created the world in, in seven days, right? And then ten times he declares things Tov, good, right? So these things are good, right? And then at one point he says it is me'od tov, which we'll get to that in a minute, which means muchness. That's exciting. But this is very good. What does he call very good? Everything, right, right, right. And then he creates humans, right, for the last thing. And he says this is all very good, right? Humans, creations, and here we are, right? And then God gives it to us to generously rule with him. He says, hey, we're going to do this together, right? This is Genesis 1 and 2. And then Genesis 3 comes along, and we decide that we want to rebel against God. The serpent comes, and he says, did God really say that you'll die if you go against his command, if you eat this tree of, of the knowledge of Tov and Ra, right? Will you really die? He says, no, no, no. God knows you'll be like God. You'll be like Elohim, right? More on that word later. And then you will be able to decide Tov from Rach, good from evil. The word Rach means evil. And so this is the whole tension of the Old Testament of humanity, right? Like you look around and you hear people say, oh, people are basically good at heart. And then you think, have you met people? Do you know people? Like, let's be honest. Like, are you basically good at heart? Or, or do, is it really just a guise because it makes you better, makes your life more comfortable? In general, it's good to be a good old boy, right? A Midwest good old boy, but that's because it makes your life easier, right? You still want what you want. You want to be like God. You want to define Tov from Ra. You want to decide this. And so then all of Scripture we're going to see is just a pattern of Ra, Ra, Ra. Bad things happening. Tensions. And then God, when God inserts 
Tove comes. Like a garden springing life from death, God comes and he springs new goodness over and over and over. And so we see in uh, Genesis 6, God's heart's grieved because every inclination of man's heart is rah, constantly, right? And that's a mirror in us. And maybe, maybe you don't want to admit that. Maybe that's a tension. You're like, I don't want to believe that every inclination of my heart is evil. But ultimately, we, we want to be God ourselves. We want to rebel against God and do our own things. This is Genesis 6. And so we have this constant rebellion. And then we see the rest of it in Genesis uh, 50, 20. We, we quote this every week. God has kind of this theme verse that's going to help ripple through all the Pentateuch, all the Torah. He says, uh, Joseph saying to his brothers, what you intended for evil, rah, God used for good, tov. And now we see the author patterning this throughout all of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible, right? That's uh, the, the Greek word, is that right? Greek or Latin? Someone, someone Greek? Penta, Pentateuch, I'm looking at... Greek Nathan over there. Say, hey, I'm Greek Nathan. Anyway, so uh, Pentateuch is Greek for uh, five books, Penta, but it's more common known as Torah or the law. Say law. This is important because Jesus said all of the law and prophets, he says, all the Old Testament hinges on this verse, right? And so the whole rest of the Pentateuch, the Torah, is the story of God bringing good from evil, Tov from Ra. And then we get into Deuteronomy. Say, welcome to Deuteronomy. Here we are. We're in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy has a cooler Hebrew name, right? Uh, in the, the Hebrew, does anyone know what the Hebrew name is? The words. Isn't that a better name than Deuteronomy? That's okay, whatever. But it means the words. It is basically Moses' passionate plea. So crash course on Moses. Israel was in Egypt, and they were slaves for a long old time, right? And then God rescued them through Moses and Aaron, and he brings them through the wilderness. And last week, we looked at all these stories of them complaining, constantly complaining. We don't like things. We don't like the meat God gave us. We don't like that we don't have water. We, don't, we miss all the slavery in Egypt. Should we just die? Should we go back to Egypt? It's just complaining, like nagging children who don't see the bigger picture. They're constantly upset. And the author says, that's you, you're the same thing, right? But that's the tension of the story, right? And they get to Mount Sinai. God gives them the law. He gives them the, uh, uh, the tabernacle, all these big things. And then they're supposed to be going on the road. And all of Numbers is this story of them rebelling and this tension of God trying to bring goodness, but then some curses and people dying off. And now we're Deuteronomy. They're right outside the promised land. And this is what God always intended. God always intended for them to have a right relationship with him, for him to bring good from their evil and so that they can be fruitful and multiply. That's where they're at, right? And Moses says, hey, here's my locker room speech to y'all. I got a whole bunch of speeches. He kind of does it in three different parts, and he goes through and he tells the story. He repeats everything to them, because a lot of them don't know, right? Uh, raise your hand if, uh, if you're a boomer. <laughs> don't want to out anybody here. So uh, did you, y'all had grandparents, right? Uh, or parents, sorry, who went through the Great Depression. Is that right? Am I about, about time right? So raise your hand if you knew anyone who went through the Great Depression. Okay, okay. Here's the thing about that. If you talk to those people about money and savings, they will talk about it very differently than how my generation millennials understand it. Because you can always buy grapes at Walmart. There is never not grapes at Walmart. And when Walmart doesn't have toilet paper, we lose our minds because everyone has everything in abundance. But someone from the Great Depression, they have a completely different worldview, right? Because they understood that everything 
could stop existing. And so you need to save, and you, my grandpa could make a cup of flour and 10 dimes go further than anyone else in this room because that guy knows how to live. He knows how to manage his money, right? And, and the closest I get is the recession, and it's just not, not that comparable, right? Uh, my generation, just is, we just don't know, right? This is Deuteronomy. Okay, Moses is trying to say, listen, guys, a lot of, a lot of these folks died, and a lot of these people back in Egypt, and y'all might not know, so let me tell you everything that's going on. You got to remember what's going on because maybe the Great Depression seems like a fantasy to you. Maybe Egypt seems like a fantasy, but this is real life. This is really what God did. So Moses is spending a lot of time talking about this. And then he gets to Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. It's going to be on the screen. See, I have set before you today life and tov, tov, life and good, death and ra. Oh, where have we heard tov and ra? Genesis 1. Genesis 1 through 3, right? I've set before you life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. Sound like Genesis 1 and 3. Be fruitful and multiply. You shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to take possession of it. All of a sudden, here at the end of Torah, the law, the five books of the Bible, all of a sudden the end sounds like the beginning. If you would just love the Lord, you will have, you will understand good from evil. Why? Because God defines tov from ra, not you. You obey the Lord, you love him. And so now, all of a sudden, you have a summary of all of the Pentateuch, right? All of the Torah. If you just love God and obey him, he will make you multiply. He will be the one who gives Tov and Ra. He decides. I've laid out before you life and good, death and evil. We're back at the garden. And so this is the tension of the rest of the Bible. The whole rest of the Bible is about this tension. How will they do it? The Bible is a library of stories that all points to King Jesus, right? And so you can't read just one and try to make sense of it outside of the context of all of it. But as you start reading all of you, you say, man, this is a whole thing pointing to King Jesus. And this tension is created here. Are you going to do what Moses says? Spoiler alert, Moses tells him, Meh. like, it's a terrible locker room speech. He's like, hey guys, you got to do this, but you're going to lose. You're about to go out here after halftime and you're going to get cranes. Like, you are not going to do it all. That's the story, right? And the whole rest of the Old Testament, as we're going to read together, is this tension. How do we do this? And, and are we going to succeed? We're not going to succeed. So what's the hope, right? There's that tension. So this morning, I've invited a, a Bible scholar friend of ours, Jen Martin. Uh, there's some pictures they'll throw up of some people to give us some humanity here. Uh, this is, uh, I think this is the day I was ordained. Yes, maybe? So, yeah, this is all of our kids, and you'll recognize some some of those people, but there's uh, five of them you won't recognize. Uh, so that's Tim and Jen. We've known them for a long time, back in our Bolivar days, before any of y'all knew me. Uh, we were friends together, went to college together, and we've just kind of had a never-ending relationship, sharing life, sharing parenting, sharing marriage, struggling together, how that works. And so when we were going to talk about the Shema this morning, I thought, man, we need to have Bible scholar, real human Jen Martin up here to just interview and talk about. Because you guys hear me talk about passion stuff all the time, right? And, and try to bring it down and say, this is how it works in life and parenting. But I thought, man, it's really pretty helpful when we have other people up here and just discuss, what does this look like? And I know Jen. I know she studies the Bible. Uh, she did the Bible recap three years ago, and then Nikki did it last year, uh, kind of partnering off of seeing Jen in her life, and then now we're inserting into it, right? The Bible recap, reading the whole Bible. And so Jen's going to come up, and we're going to talk about specifically the Shema. If you want to turn to Deuteronomy 6, I'm going to bring her up here, and we're just going to talk about it together, and we're going to pray first, and then we're going to get rolling.
God, thank you for this day and how you've gathered us. Thank you for the relationships you've given us that ripple into eternity, that we see your love for us. And I pray that as one body, God, that you would teach us how to love you, how to love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, all our mind. God, teach us what that means. May your spirit move in this time as we read your word, as we wrestle through this together. Thank you for your great love for us. Amen. Jen, if you want to come up here. Everyone say, welcome, Jen. This is my real human friend, Jen Martin. Real human. Real human. She lives in the real world. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (coughs) All right. We're uh, going to get into this. Uh, As I was talking about the... uh, uh, the Torah and Deuteronomy. Is there anything that, uh, that I missed that you want to point out? Anything about the Torah or Deuteronomy that you're like, oh, we just really, you got to hear this. Um, yeah, I think right off the bat, I think about, uh, well, I think about the whole scripture. You know, like I, I tend to talk a lot, so it's going to be all on David to watch our time. I can only do one thing at a time. I am not a good multitasker. Can someone just so say, uh-oh? I'll talk. I feel <laughs> I'll like talk. I heard that. And David can rein it in as he needs to. Um, so one of the things that get me, gets me the most excited about Deuteronomy is the way it bridges all of the scriptures together. So it acts as kind of a, a story or a narrative bridge that links, um, it kind of looks backwards on where we've been so far, Genesis through up until this point. And then, um, and then it looks forward saying, here's what's next, here's what you need to be doing. And so it kind of gives them a narrative bridge. Um, and it talks about like, um, gives you kind of a framework for what's going to be happen- happening in the historical books like Joshua, First and Second Kings. Um, and you'll see as he warns and he says, you're going to forget. That's a spoiler alert because they do um, often. Um, and so their hearts grow further from him. And, and, and it's important to remember, forgetting is not a memory problem. It's more of a moral um, problem, something that leads to actions that are not of who they are supposed to be representing. Um, I think that's, uh, sorry to interrupt, I'm not supposed to interrupt you yet, but I think that's such a helpful thing to, to think through because we, we talk about like, uh, maybe you've heard me say it before, like our forgetter works really good, right? Our remember, not so much. But I think sometimes we give each other the pass of like, yeah, we just forgot. But there's certain things that aren't okay to forget, right? Like, it's, it's not okay to forget your puppy in the car in the hot sun. Like, I mean, so, no, sorry, don't mean to, like, offend anyone if you don't. But, like, there's certain things that are so egregious to be like, it's not okay to forget that, you know, you shouldn't walk into Walmart and start shooting the ceiling. Like, there, there's certain things that, like, you can't forget. And so there's a moral thing. And then there's other things that aren't too passable either. Like, a lot of, a lot of us don't forget to eat, right? You remember things that are important to you. You don't forget to put your kids to bed so you can stay up late with your wife and watch television shows or whatever. And so I think sometimes we want to give this pass of, I just forgot to read the Bible. It's like, yeah, but you didn't forget to drink coffee this morning, did you? You know, and I, for me, I kind of need that. Like, oh, man, 
I don't know, like things that are really important to me, I don't forget to wake up to go hunting, but I forget to wake up and read the Bible, right? You feel me? Shake your head if you relate. Maybe I'm just the worst person here. That's okay. Okay, cool. Carry on. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So it's a, it's a good narrative bridge. It talks about where we've been, where they're headed um, in the storyline of the Bible. It's incredibly important. I love that you guys are reading the Bible together as a church because it's incredibly important to see all of it, to see the arching, the overarching story of what God is, has done and is doing, because that's also our story. And when we buy into that, it becomes the motivation for us to live our lives, and we really can do the thing that we're asked to do. Um, but I also think it's important because it's a theological bridge. Um, it works as a it bridges us to Jesus, because later in Deuteronomy, it talks about Moses is going to say, you're going to forget because your heart cannot do the thing that you've been asked to do, that God needs you to do. Your heart is faulty and you can it you will need somebody else to come in and do the work that you can't do. You will need new hearts. You'll he will need to circumcise your heart. And so it and like you see it all the way even through Revelation when it talks about like the God the dwelling place of God is with man. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is the thing that brings us that that capacity, that ability to do the thing that we were created to do, Jesus is the only way we get there. Mm. Um, he is the one that comes in and brings us a new heart. He is the one that um, creates us, bring, allows us to be the dwelling place of the Lord our God. Because um, that's, that's his whole entire goal for creating us. It was in the garden. He created it was he was dwelling with adam and eve he was working he brought adam and eve into this and said we're doing this together um that's what he's wanted us that was his his goal with the tabernacle when they were in the wilderness that was his goal with the temple that was his goal with um the holy spirit when it came um and then the new heaven and the new new earth and revelation when it talks about the behold the dwelling place of God is mm-hmm. with man. And it sure sounds it like the, the goal is uh, not just a, a passive dwelling, but then because later on you hear uh, prophets and uh, people talk about like they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And there's something about not just all of us getting to have our own little orbits or our own little kingdoms inside of the Lord's kingdoms, but that everything we do is a connection to what? To loving him, right? And so I think that brings us into like what what is the Shema? Because that's what we're about to we're about to kind of this is why we're here, right? We're all going to sit and, and we're going to talk about what the Shema is. So uh, Jen, do you want to read um, Deuteronomy six verses four and five, and maybe just uh, broadly answer the question what what is this? What is the Shema? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Deuteronomy six four through five is the Shema, and it says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Um, So the Shema, this would have been like traditionally Jewish people would have um, said this as a twice daily prayer. Um, Once in the morning and once in the evening. Yeah, once in the morning and once in the evening um, as a way of, of doing the thing that Moses was saying, remembering to teach their kids to pass on the legacy so that this is a a nation that this is their identity as a nation, who they've, who they've become. Um, Jesus actually himself grew up praying this. Um, so it was incredibly important in the life of him. It was just part of his identity. Lock that in. That's something that, uh, I, it was kind of new to me. It seems pretty obvious, but that (laughs) Jesus would have said this twice a day, like Mm -hmm. the Messiah, he, he grew up saying the Shema. Ah, whoa. Now maybe, oh, that kind of matters for my life. Wait, hold on. So, 
Um, that's good. So uh, in the Bible, it's most of the time it's quoted as the greatest commandment. Like, uh, do you have any thoughts on, on like why this would be called the greatest commandment? We're going to unpack it specifically here in a minute, but what, what makes this the greatest commandment? Um, yeah. So I think of the fact that, you know, as, as Americans, we have a constitution. We have, this is what defines who we are as in relation to who the other countries are around that are around us, the other nations of the world. Um, and so this kind of just became their constitution, for lack of a better analogy. Now it, we have some breakdown because we have a very different way that we define what our laws are. Um, and so it kind of just sets forth their unique identity as a nation. Um, it defines their relationship with the authority, which is for them is God. Um, and then with each other, their fellow citizens, the fellow Israelites. Um, and then also it kind of, it dictates their response to um, and their relationship with mm. the nations around them. So they would be, it, that's incredibly important in the wilderness when they are, or when they're getting ready to enter into the promised land when God is telling them, actually, here's how you're going to relate to them. You're not, <laughs> like, you're not going to marry with them. You're not going to, you know, enter into different covenants with them. This is, this is incredibly important. Um, so other, other gods are saying, mm-hmm. you, you do this stuff for your benefit and my authority. So other gods would say, you know, uh, Asherah, Baal, Canaanite gods, whatever it would be like, hey, you need, you need, you need your fertility. I got your fertility. Come and do this thing. You need your crops. Uh, I got your crops. Come do this thing. And God was saying, hold on. Like I am Yahweh Elohim. I am the Lord, your God. And my commandment is for you just to love me. Uh, and that seems, it seems like uh, starkly different. Um, and, and I think it's interesting because that's not, I think we've talked about this uh, last night, but this isn't based off of uh, who they are because we understand they're going to mess this up. But right, like God tends to overemphasize that it's about who he is. Like yeah. I am the Lord, your God. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this is the whole, the whole law when God is saying this is like, this is like the law is meant to set them apart from the nations that are around mm-hmm. them. It's supposed to make them different. Um, and so how do we, so when he's saying, love the Lord your God, he's, how do we do that? And he points back to the first few chapters of Deuteronomy. He's recapping, like that's intentional. He's saying, how do we do this? How do we love the Lord our God? Because like you said, love is not a, you often say love is commitment and sacrifice. It's not just a weird little feeling that we get. It's, it's a, it's a thing that we do, but what do we do? How do we do that? And we are supposed to actually remember what God has done. Hmm. It's not what we do. It's what he has done. And so it's important that we remember that. Um, and so we, I mean, chapter 7 actually later talks about um, 7, 6 through 8. It says that he did not choose you because you were more in number than any other people. Um, he, so you were not actually, you were, you were the fewest of all peoples. Like you were smaller, you were not bigger or stronger. Um, chapter nine says, and it's not because of your righteousness. Don't think that it's because you were righteous. Um, you are stubborn. Yeah, because you're a stubborn people. Um, actually you're really not. Um, and then chapter 10, it talks about, it says, um, so beholds the Lord your God belong heaven in the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your mm-hmm. fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Um, and so 
it's saying it's not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's not about anything that you are. It is about everything that I am. I own everything. I created everything. But I still choose you. I chose to love you. That's why. Like, God doesn't love them because they earned it. It simply originates because he is love. And it's, it's easy to read Deuteronomy and, and, like, in general, we have to avoid this bias um, as 21st century Western Americans. Sometimes we read history with this arrogance. Uh, and part of it is just how we are all raised. We're all raised in this progressive idea that everything was bad and now it's better. Everyone was dumb and now we're smarter, right? And so we have this idea where read Deuteronomy and we think, those poor idiots. Those were the golden calf people, right? They're so dumb. But then there's this attitude of like, like it's not that God chose those poor idiot Israelites. Like the message that's rippling in the author writing this, God inspired the author writing this, God chose you. Like, like God loves you. And I think that, that before you get too far in this message, before we even start unpacking the Shema, you're going to start having this attitude of like, okay, what's my checklist of what I've done? And it's just not the point. Like, like God's not in love with you and he's not so passionately pursuing you because you are awesome. And the kingdom of God can't go on if Kathy doesn't follow Jesus perfectly. That's not how it works. Like that's a Western heroic Luke Skywalker theology that doesn't, that doesn't fit. God is the hero. Jesus is king. And he chooses to love you, right? And I think that's such a, a huge point. As, as we keep kind of uh, wrestling with this, um, we want to kind of wrestle specifically then what is the Shema. If, if God's loving us and his command is to love us, I think we want to unpack this. And we're going to unpack it uh, like we do Hebrew things together. So this is going to be fun. We're going to start with the word Shema. Say Shema. Say it like you mean it. Shema, right? Uh, say uh, Yahweh. Yahweh. Hey. This is what I... Come on, David. I'm so sorry. Uh, whey is in whey protein. Is that what you're doing there? Maybe. What is it? Why? Y-A-H-W-E-A. Thank you, guys. I'm so sorry. It's so funny how often I struggle with this word and I Google it because I'm used to like the four letters and then that's good. Anyway, thank you for saying that. Say Abaha. Abaha. All right. Let's go with uh, Lev. We did this one last week. Lev. Lev. And then Nefesh. Girl, you got a good Nefesh. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Nefesh and then Me'od. I hear you not saying it. Me'od, right? That's one of the most important ones. We're going to talk about that, right? So we got Shema, Yahweh, Abaha, Leb, Nefesh. I didn't hear you say Nefesh. Nefesh, right? Nefesh, you know what I mean? Uh, That was fishing, for those of you who like to fish. And Me'od, right? Uh, So, Jen, walk us through uh, these words. So when you see, if you want to put the uh, slide back up there of just the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, you can see some of these words are highlighted uh, in that picture. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Um, Love, uh, some of those words. Yeah, there it is. Uh, These are the words we're kind of talking about here. So, Jen, do you want to unpack for us, just kind of walk through maybe the first three? Um, Shema, Yahweh, Abaha. Yeah. So Shema is the first one, which is some translations have here, some of them have listen. Um, and so it, it obviously is where the Shema gets its name. Um, when we talk to kids and we say, listen to me, we're not asking them to just like open your ears and take in the information. Often, sometimes, sometimes we are, sometimes we're asking them to just sit still and actually hear what we're saying 
because sometimes they don't. Um, but more often than not, we are asking them to respond in a certain way with an action. Um, and so actually Hebrews didn't, in Hebrew, there was no, they, the, the, that, those concepts were together. They were the same thing. They didn't separate listening and doing. It was the same. So Shema is listen and respond. You can't possibly listen without responding, right? right? And it's the same sort of thing like, like, hey, bud, did you hear me say unload the dishwasher? Yeah, why didn't you do it? Well, did you hear me? Like, this is my, me and my dad all growing up, so really, so conversation. Well, I didn't know you actually wanted me to do it right now, right? Whatever, right? So there's that tension, right? Shema, you can't listen. You can't possibly have Shema if you didn't respond in some way. And that's a huge message for us in culture because we live in a culture where we can listen. We can sit through a, a school system. We can sit through a training. We can sit through clicking on a computer for our job, and it bears no weight on our actual lives, right? This is a foreign concept to the Jews. So when God says, hear, O Israel, Shema, he expects you to respond. And, and how does he want you to respond? Uh, well, he says, uh, Yahweh, right? The Lord is one. You want to cover anything with that? Um, so this one, this part is a little tricky because in the Hebrew, they don't, this can be, this particular part can be translated several different ways. Like even in most of your scripture, in most of your Bibles, it'll say there are three different ways that some of the, like the Bible scholars would have translated it. Um, ultimately, it comes down to identifying this is who our allegiance is to. It doesn't necessarily mean, now it could have like a connotation of like the there are like three in one. God is a unified God. But it is more likely because of the entire what we see in all of Deuteronomy and all of the rest of the Old Testament is they were going to be steeped in multiple, like in a polytheistic cultures around them. They were, they were headed into, they have always, like in Canaan, in Egypt, in where they're headed in the promised land, they're going to be surrounded by peoples who look to multiple gods for different things. And so the statement that I think is being made here whenever they're saying the Lord our God is the Lord alone is our God. Um, so I think because it's like Moses was saying, the only, only total allegiance is the thing to Yahweh is the thing that's going to bring you life and blessing. And we talk about this all the time. And I think it's worth just, again, inserting this. Uh, think about you saying this twice a day. If you were to wake up with your kids, with your spouse, with just personally, you call up a friend from work and every day you're going to say this together. You say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It is a daily reminder that you only seek and serve the Lord. He is above everything in your life. You've set him before you, as King David writes in Psalm 16:8. right? I've set the Lord ever before me. And I think there's this, we, we have this idea that, oh, well, this is, there's just one God. There's no other gods around there. But pay attention to the Eliohim language in Scripture. There are powers and principalities and spiritual forces all around you. You think that it's just you choose to worship at church on Sundays and then there's really no other God because everything else is meaningless? No. There is a God of power. There is a God of money. There is a God of sex. There is a God of Netflix. There is a God of entertainment. There is a God... I hear me. I'm not joking. These things are in your life. There's a God of your cell phone. There is a God of Google. Like, I'm not saying these things are inherently evil. I'm saying there are things that are biting for your attention and your time and your energy. And God says, hear, obey. I am above. I am everything. Right? And we're going to talk about that. He, does, he goes on to unpack. He doesn't just say, listen, how are we going to listen? Well, you should 
of Aha, right? So if, if God is above everything, if he is the Lord above all things, what do we do with that? Avaha. What does yeah. Avaha mean? We yeah. love him. Yeah. So, yeah, he, Moses is saying this, we're going to love the Lord your God. And so when you, he's saying the previous statements, he's saying this is who we love. So Avaha is the word that appears the most in the Old Testament. In this book, in Deuteronomy is the one. Um, so because of our context, we tend to connect the word law to things uh, like social justice equality, uh, rights and freedoms. Um, but in God's kingdom, love is the thing, is the center of the law. That's what is, that's what it all hinges on. Um, and so we can, we can talk, I mean, you can see every single law in the Old Testament as something that, um, you can look at the heart behind the law. So some of them feel like, really God, why would you make a mom unclean for so many days? Like, why would you label her unclean? That gives a certain, but if you look at the heart behind the law, that gave her grace to not have to do the things that a mom does while she's healing from childbirth. Um, and so, like, the heart behind the law was protection. Um, and so there's all kinds of, like, building, when you're building your house, build a parapet around it. And so that's a wall to keep protection of life. Make sure you're not, like, if somebody's on your house, you don't want them to accidentally fall off. So that's the heart behind the law. Um, he's not telling you, like, here is how you're only supposed to build your house. It's protecting each other. Um, so the law is supposed to set Israel apart, and the love is the thing that does that because the other nations didn't have, were not characterized in that right. way. Right, they, they wouldn't describe their relationship with their gods as loving, right? right? And here's, yeah. it's important, again, we have a, a, a limitation of language and a limitation of knowledge where we start talking about love and you import immediately things, right? And it, it's fair. Culturally, you hear the word love and you hear love is love and love is, love is all you need, right? All you need is love, right? And you insert all these ideas in, in your mind and all these songs, all these things. And so you have to say, okay, well, hold on. Who is Lord your God? Who is the one that's defying Tov from Ra? And how has God shown what love is so far, right? God has shown love through his commitment commitment and his sacrifice. And because of his commitment and sacrifice, he's also punished evil. He's also, he's also had some standards where it's incurred wrath and tension and fear and anger from God towards the frustration of the things they've done, right? These are your people. They're stiff necked. You lead them out. I'm done, right? There's this tension of God doing that. And so if you're a parent or, or if you've ever had any sort of disciplinary role, maybe you can kind of connect this. But again, we have a limitation of emotion and we try to import these things on God. But what God's saying is, hey, what is love look like? Avaha? Love does. Love is commitment and sacrifice. And so the pattern of your life, the trajectory is going to be marked by a love for God in which you adjust every part of your life, right? You think about marriage, right? Um, I approach finances differently because I love my wife. I approach how I clean our kitchen differently. Man, I cannot stand to sweep our kitchen floors. Uh, our floors would never be swept. We'd probably buy a robot to do it, honestly. But my wife will sweep the kitchen floors five times a day. I don't know if it gives a peace. I don't know if it's just like some of you are shaking your head like, I love sweeping my kitchen floors. What is it with you people? Like, it's just, it's a hardwood floors. Why does anyone even want hardwood floors? Carpet is where it's at. But anyway, so you can't lay on hardwood floors comfortably. Gosh, I want just the shaggiest, comfortable, matted carpet. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I digress. So then I 
approach our kitchen differently because I'm like, one day when we buy a house, we'll have all hardwood floors because I love my wife. There's a commitment and sacrifice there, willing to give up my shag, disgusting carpet for her, right? Now, again, you start pressing, hold on, what is the trajectory of my life, my commitment and sacrifice toward loving God? This sounds like something we talk about every Sunday, right? It's because it's so important because we go and forget, right? And so this tags on that, okay, so we're loving God with what, right? Now we get these words, right? Lev, nefesh, me'od. And this is so important because he's saying with all your heart, we talked about last week, heart is not just your, your feelers, right? But that's kind of included, but it's also your will. It's where, where you make decisions, right? It's the seat of, of who you are. And so in the, in the Hebrew context, they didn't have a separation between your feelings and your mind, right? It all kind of connected here. And so if your heart wills it, and of course you're going to consider and you're going to think about it, and it's not just some love song, you're actually considering the cost. And so their heart and mind was connected. But this is why when Jesus quotes it, he, Jesus adds a word, doesn't he? You remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why does Jesus add mind? Because in a Greek context, they had a separation. They understood that your heart and mind could be different. You could really feel something, but it could be wrong because your feel are stupid. So maybe you need to think about it with your mind, right? Same idea. But here in the Hebrew, heart, lev, same idea. Your heart and mind is connected, right? And then they mention your nephesh. Say nephesh. Nephesh, man. So nephesh is an interesting word. It normally connects, uh, it's the word for soul, right? And we have this disembodiment idea of like, there's the trichotomy of man, right? Your heart, soul, and mind. Foreign to the, the idea of the Hebrews. Actually, pretty foreign, all up till Platonic ideas, right, Plato? There's not this idea of you're separated in your body. It's all connected. And so they wouldn't say you have a nephesh, but you are are a nephesh, right? That's what, so uh, there, there's something about, and it kind of connects to everything you are. Uh, actually, the original word is throat, right? And so the idea is as the deer panteth for the water, <sighs> panteth, right? right? So my soul, my nephesh, long after you, there's this idea of throat where you expel energy, where you expel life, where you breathe, kind of connected to what? Ruach, breath, right? So there's this idea of nephesh, and it connects. And so you have this, and it's all of your being. And so when they start listing these things, uh, heart, soul, uh, strength, they're saying you're all of it. And nephesh is, nephesh is kind of your, your identity of who you are. This is, this is who you are. So you're loving God with all of your heart, your mind, your will, your, your emotions, but with also all of you are. And this last word, strength, this is my favorite, say me'od. And then everyone go like this, Ma'od, yeah, Ma'od, this is your strength, right? That's different though, right? Uh, insert a CrossFit joke here. But like, so, so uh, Nikki's Ma'od is not stronger than your Ma'od because that's not what the word means, but it kind of gets it. When God said it is very good, he said it is Ma'od Tov, Ma'od. It's a word that means muchness. And in the Hebrew, this is my favorite, it says that it's uh, a good translation is to, to your full capacity. Think about that. You love God to the fullness of your capacity. And unpack that in your mind. I will never, mark my words, ever have the capacity to love God by running a 5K or a marathon. Never. That is not who David is. I'm absolutely interested in that. But I know folks that would say, Are, is there runners out there? When you run, you just, I know Anna's this way, right? She used to run. Like you just turn your mind off. It's like, I can just connect, man. And I'm just like running and I can love the Lord. That, that's not my capacity, right? Right? I love the Lord by, I just love teaching the word. I love uh, calling you all and praying with you and just wrestling 
wrestling in life with people and bearing burdens with another. And that, that doesn't make one person more holy than another. Um, uh, some people love God by being brain surgeons and they have that capacity. Their ma'od is to be a brain surgeon, right? Some of you are, are nurses. Some of you are stay-at-home moms. Some of you are grandmas. Some of you are grandpas. Some of you are retirees, whatever it is. This is estate workers to your muchness, your ma'od. This is how you love the Lord. And so we get this full picture that we're to love the Lord with our existence, including our will and emotions, our entire being, with everything we're capable of. But then we also know that, that we're going to forget, right? That's where the story goes, is we're going to forget, we're going to struggle. This is the issue. And so no matter how much we unpack these Hebrew words and we lay it on you and we say, this is this, and we're like, hey, let the synapses and the neurotransmitters in your brain connect and form neural pathways so that you guys start doing this and bzz, it just starts going, Right? but we're going to forget. Say, I'm going to forget. I'm going to forget. Let's be real with each other. Like, look across the room. I can see you not looking. Just look at, just a bit. let your eyes wander. It's okay. We're all, for, we're a room full of, church, please hear me. I'm getting on my seat. We're a room full of forgetters. And this is why this was written to a people. This wasn't just written to Tisha and David and, and J.R. And, and Bob and Bill and, and Peter, Paul and Mary. This was written to hear, O Israel. The Lord your God. Hear all of you. Hear y'all. Look together. Because we're all going to forget. And so, insert real human Jen Martin. Like, I want to ask Jen, how does this work in your life? Like, what would you tell us? Like, like you, I mean, you're a mom. Uh, you're, you're a spouse. You've got a job. You do homeschool stuff. Uh, sometimes you speak at women's conferences, at stuff and things. You do stuff. You're just a busy gal. Like, what does it look like to love the Lord with, with in this way while also just the struggle to forget? Like, how does it, how does it meet us? What do we do? How do we, how do we do this practically? Yeah. Um, so because most of my hours revolve, because I'm a stay at home, homeschool mom, uh, most of my hours revolve around children. So probably that will be a large part of my examples. Um, but I will kind of give just a brief overview looking, using the rest of Deuteronomy 6 as kind of a framework. Um, so verses 6 through 9, um, and it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so Matt Chandler, there's a quote that they'll put up. It, he said in a sermon once, and I don't remember what sermon or when I heard it, but he said, God's design is so perfect and thorough that you can't not do what you were created for. The verb part of what you were called to do is to worship and to multiply, which it, it, you, when you hear New Testament, it's make disciples. That's the Matthew 28 is um, the Great Commission. So it's you are called to worship, to love is another way to do that, and then to make disciples. Um, and so you, it's the thing that you have control over is who or what you worship and then how you disciple, how you multiply, who you are making smaller images of. Um, and so kind of the first thing we need to do is impress the word upon our own hearts. We have to start with circle number one is me and the Lord. I have to know him. I have to get to know him more. I have to love him more. That's my priority number one. Um, and kind of the beauty of that, the beauty of God's design is when I am doing that, what I was created to do in God's design and God's desire um, is I'm already kind of getting a jump on the second thing, which is 
making disciples, teaching my kids. Um, you kind of get outside of your relationship. The first thing is your relationship with the Lord. Know him, love him, seek him, be in the word, pray. It's That, that is the most important thing because that is the uh, catalyst for all of the other things that are going to be meaningful in your life. Um, and so I need to be, for me, that's teaching my kids at in my house, um, because that is my immediate circle. If you don't have small children, that will be your immediate circle of friends. That will be your work, the people you are in closest contact with every day. Um, and so uh, Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, tells us kind of how we're supposed to do that. We sit in our house. It says, do you sit in your house? Yes. Um, we go places in the car. We do these things. And so the grace of God is that we can do all of these things whenever. Like he, his design is perfect in that we can do them. Now, you might have to do some work to make it to bring that about. So you have to cultivate that in certain ways in your life. So maybe you build that into your time with me. That looks like, um, praying with my kids at bedtime at dinner time, talking with them. We ask four specific questions. We ask about like, um, what was your favorite part of the day? And then we praise God for that. We draw his attention, their attention back to you. Isn't God good that like Penny got a pink shirt. Isn't God good that he could have made the world black and white, but he made mm. colors. So Penny could see the color pink and turn to worship God. Um, and so we talk about what was your least favorite part. And we talk about, yeah, the the world is broken and sometimes really terrible things like that happen and but the good news is um and so then we talk about what are you excited for we praise god for bringing those opportunities in our lives we teach how to go about doing those exciting things well um, to glorify god um and what are you nervous about is the fourth question and then we can encourage them in that space too that's uh um i i didn't know that uh i miss i missed that in your notes but i want to i want to push on that four questions you can ask yourself this your spouse your friends your coworkers. you want someone to pray for here are four questions right and, and i would say write these down and maybe this is homework for your week right you want to start loving Loving the Lord more. Here's a trajectory. Ask yourself, uh, what's the best part of your day? Thank God for it. What's the worst part of your day? Ask God to continue to be redeeming that, to sanctify that in your life, right? What are you excited for? What brings you hope? And compare that to the hope of the Lord and say, God, God, I'm hoping in this. Uh, I place it before you. I trust that that's you. What are you nervous about? What brings you anxiety, tension? How do you place that before the Lord and trust him? Those are four questions you could ask yourself and then say the Shema. That's a very practical thing, right? And to ask yourself, ask your kids. And I think these things are important to me because we're going to forget. I mean, how many days do you eat dinner and you don't pray? You, you forget to talk to the Lord. How many mornings do you look back and say, gosh, I haven't talked to the Lord all morning or all week? Or maybe this week you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't spent time with the Lord since last Sunday when David was up here talking about prophets. What's going on? Right? Well, stop. The Lord chose you. He loves you. Right? And this is why we're talking about this because we're a room full of forgetters and we need each other because we're going to struggle with these things. Yeah. So I think, and then the beautiful thing of God's design is I've done number one. If I've done number one well, then I've done number two. And then I can expound on that. And then if I've done those two things, I have set a foundation for the way I can do the number three in my work, which is expanding the circle. So responding to the world as it comes. Um, because I have set the foundation as talking to my kids proactively about these things, when they ask or when things come up that we didn't plan for, because I can't constantly be planning and teaching ahead of, of what the world is going to bring, I can 
respond with that there's like a proactive and responsive aspect of everything in your life. Mm -hmm. And so you can respond by pointing back to the thing that you've already introduced to them. Um, and so you do that in your own life by like you are in the word. And then so when something comes up, God has already given you the grace in putting that in your life. Um, so you can say, actually, no, like I know that that's not truth because I've already said, I've already been told and taken in, consumed what is truth. Um, so I think get familiar with being able to see when brokenness and flesh are a part of your world, um, seeing that in people around you, but then knowing, memorizing scripture and combating it like Jesus did when he was tempted, knowing how to respond because you need to be, by, and you do that by being in the word, mm. by seeking him, seeking to know him and love him. That's more. what, and we say this a lot here, but this again, like, Measure your life in the trajectory of each week, each, each few days. Like, how have you grown in prayer, scripture, and church? How are you growing in your affection for the word and reading the word and knowing who God is? How are you growing in prayer, speaking to God based off who you know he is based off scripture? And how are you growing in him through his church, his body? Because we all need each other. Room full of forgetters, right? We're also a room full of people who the Holy Spirit has been given and we receive power. And after that, the Holy Spirit's come upon us and we're priests and we prophesy. We talked about that last week. So how are you experiencing that together. Look around. When's the last time someone in this room has spoken life into you through scripture, through prayer? Like this is what we need, right? We need those things and then it ripples out. Jen, I want to, as we kind of land the plane here, uh, let's talk about Jesus. Like Jesus quotes this. I want you to read Matthew 22 here in a minute and then maybe, maybe talk with us about in your experience how this connects with Jesus and, and him talking about the greatest commandment. What do you, what do you got to say about Matthew 22? You want to read that for us first? Yeah, I'll read it. Um, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. This is right here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to, the, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend on all the law and the prophets. Um, yeah, so I think if we go back to the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses tells them in 3127, I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you've been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Um, basically, he's saying, and we're, we're, this is a message for us too, you will screw this up. <laughs> but when you repent and return in Deuteronomy 36, Moses says to them, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. We can't do it. We need a new heart to do it. When we repent, it, sa it says when you repent, the Lord your God will. So it's not like a, I'm sorry, can you? He will. He has already promised that he will do this. And Jesus is the way that he does this. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan to circumcise our hearts so that he can be with us. That is his entire goal. He loves us. He wants to be loved mm. in return. That is our entire purpose for being. And when we can see that Jesus is a thing that has done that, has stepped into our space, into our place to bring us a new heart, 
that's how we. And that's I mean, that's what uh, New Testament writers uh, keep going through. This way, Jesus says, "This is drink. This is the blood of the new covenant given for the forgiveness of sins." Right? Like Jesus acknowledges, we are separate from God. We can't do this on our own. But God has chosen us. God wants a relationship with you. But how does He do that when you're separate? Right? Something has to change. And so God comes and He dies. Jesus comes. He takes on our sin, our rebellion, everything. And not only does God just expunge it and say, "Oh, it's forgiven." No, He gives you a new heart. John fourteen twenty. We quote it a lot here, but it's worth remembering. When the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance your memory all the things. Because we're forgetters. And the Holy Spirit enters into us and brings to our memory. Say, I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit, man, because we're forgetters. Man, praise God that He loves you so much that He's able. Gosh, I can't emphasize this enough. We want to fix it. We're a culture that fixes things. We build things. We separate from other cultures and start our own culture. We, we, we grow this society. Huge America. We're powerful. We've got the weapons. We've got the military. Our story is greatness and awesomeness. Save a few bad parts in history. We are great. But we can't fix this. There is nothing that you can do to make yourself right before God. There's nothing. And you know that. You know this is, this is a struggle. You know that it's breaking you apart. You need the Holy Spirit. Something from outside of you has to fix you. And God loves you enough to say, I've given you a new heart if you would believe in me. Right? Jen, as we close up, is there any, any singular thought or closing thing that you'd want to uh, say to us as we go out and say, hey, step by step, we're going to try to love the Lord. Is there any, any closing thought that you have? Just lean into every minute believing that the God of the universe created you, loves you, hmm. um, and, and doing, when you do that, you will be able to, I mean, Ephesians 5, 15 is, six through 16 is one of my favorite verses. It's a mantra for my life, but especially in my mothering, um, is redeeming the days because times because the days are evil. Buying back every single moment, every single choice, because you believe with all of your heart that God loves you and has done everything that he, everything that he has done because he wants to be in a relationship with you. Um, mm. And so that allows you to have the lens, like that allows you to have the frontlets on your eyes and the, like have it written on your hands. That this is the lens through which you see everything and the motivation for everything you do mm. at that point. Um, just lean into every moment to believe that. As we start to close here in a minute, I, uh, I, want, I want to really impress. Uh, we wrote this, I think, on the Facebook page this morning, but just this idea, like, what, is, what does God want from me? Right? Like, like there, there's a God, there's a big guy upstairs, but what does he want from me, man? What do I do? Like, there's this tension. Like, what is it? And then God says, he says, love me. Love me with all your heart, with everything, to your fullness of your capacity. You're a grandma, love me to the fullness of your grandma-ness, right? You're a runner, you're a sophomore in high school, you're, you're a mom that can't stand the juggle between working and being a mom and trying to figure out life. Like, love me to that capacity. Everything you have, open it up. This is our posture, church. Every week, open it up. And I can't not plead with you every week. Take that thing in your life that you're so tight. My time, my money, my life. Just open it up. Love him. That's what God wants from you. You want to know what God wants from you? To love him. And you're going to struggle and you're going to forget. And so we do it together. So Jesus came and died so that your heart could be changed, right? 
And so the question that, that I want to leave you with is similar to what we talked about last week, man. Do you, do you know Jesus in this way? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to know what God wants for you, he wants you to love him. But you can't. How do you love God? You have to know Jesus. You have to know Jesus. So maybe you don't know Jesus in this way. Maybe you're watching from home, you're sitting here and you realize, man, I have no affection for Jesus. This stuff sounds good, and I'm going to make a list of all the things I want to do to love God, but it's just not here for me. Maybe you don't know Jesus. This is your morning. Thank God that he's orchestrated it. You're here. You're watching from home. You need to give your life to Jesus, right? Repentance and justification we talk about is looking to Jesus. You repent to me. I just want to look to him, right? Sanctification is beholding him. Say, I'm continuing to adjust the patterns of my life to look to him in everything. My job, my hobbies, my parenting, my singleness, my uh, lack of money this month. Everything in my life, I'm looking to Jesus, beholding him. If you have faith in King Jesus and his spirit's in you, these two things will always be happening. You'll have progressive victory over sin. And you'll have increased fruit of the spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit will be moving. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We're going to mention that several weeks because we want us to understand like this is it. And if those things aren't in your life, praise God that he's put you here to be offended that you don't know him so that you can give your life to him and be transformed in heart. Maybe you do know him and you're saying, man, I just don't love him the way I should. What do you need to live like this for today? What do you need to behold to look to Jesus and open up to? I'm going to leave us with Acts 2, 38 and 39 again, and then the band's going to come up. And if they could, I think you should play, play the Mighty God song again. I think that'd be a beautiful song to sing. I'm sorry to spring that on you. I know that that's just such a pastor move to just change the song at the last minute, but we'll make it happen. Uh, but Acts 2, 38 and 39. In response to the gospel being preached, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone who the Lord God calls to himself. God is calling you to himself. He loves you, and he wants you to love him. If you don't love him, if you don't know him, give your life to Jesus. If you do know him, what do you need to open up about? What is your ma'od that you're struggling with, your muchness, your capacity that you're not loving God with? What about your heart is not open up to him? What about your, your soul, who you would define yourself as? Maybe it's your sexuality. Maybe that's your God. I care so much about my sexuality. I care so much about my career, what I'm doing in college, what I'm doing as, as my future retirement plan. Man, if you can't say this thing I've said before the Lord and I'm hearing the voice of the Lord, and I'm seeing progressive victory over sin and increased fruit of the Spirit, maybe you don't love the Lord with that. Church, that's our message this morning. Love the Lord. Let's pray, and then we're going to worship together. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this time that we get to wrestle through this. I pray by the power of your Spirit, you would speak to us, and that, that even as we worship you now, that we would be committed as one body, as your new humanity, bought by Jesus Christ, God, that we would love you with everything we have to the fullness of our capacity and that you would guide us to help each other as we forget, as we struggle. Thank you for Jen being here. I pray that you would guide us all to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Teach us to love you. Teach us to love you, Father. Amen.